celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello sleepyheads and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. As you may know, on this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for just one bedtime, I don't want them to bring their A-game, but rather their Z-game. It's a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll all be sleeping with Emily Heller. She's going to talk with me about the process and philosophy of applying for the LADWP's lawn removal rebate. That's right, just as so many of you have been asking for. For listeners unfamiliar with the aforementioned acronym, LADWP stands for Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads, tights and fights. Tights and fights is the perfect wrestling podcast. Whether you're a lifelong fan who spent summers suplexing your siblings into pools, or you just know this is what The Rock did before he became president of the United States, everyone is welcome. Every week, hosts Hal Lublin, Danielle Radford, and Lindsay Kelk break down the best of wrestling, as only they can, with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Even though wrestling doesn't have the best reputation for, well, much of anything, really, they always try to make their show the place where women, LGBTQ friends, and people of color know that this art form is for them. Shows happen every Saturday. Tights and fights, on Maximum Fun, or wherever you get your podcasts and body slams. And now, allow me to introduce our guest. Emily Heller is no stranger to this network, Maximum Fun. You can listen to her and her co-host, Lisa Hanawalt, on their podcast, Baby Geniuses. But don't let the podcast name fool you. Emily Heller is not a baby, though she may be a genius. She's a stand-up comedian, actor, and television comedy writer on the program Barry. I hesitate to mention her many other credits because of the ongoing strikes in Hollywood. However, I think it's safe to mention that she has a recurring segment on the Love It or Leave It podcast called Emily's Garden Show. Right now, however, Emily isn't in her garden. She's in the bed, ready for night-night. Emily Heller, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we like to start off these bedtime conversations with a question or two about sleep. Do you recall the best night of sleep you've ever had? You know, when I'm lying in bed and I'm trying to get to sleep, sometimes I will try and think about times when I've slept very well in the past to sort of transport me. And what I've noticed is that I... I don't think often about nights of sleep as much as really good naps that I've had. Mm. And I do think that the best nap I've ever had was when or no, I, there were there are two really good naps I can think of. Um one of them was when I was on a um I was on the birthright trip to Israel, which is a, a sort of a a propaganda indoctrination effort okay. uh, funded uh, to, you know, uh, 
convert Americans to a Zionist way of life, which I I was not receptive to. But it is a free trip to Israel for you young trip regardless for, yeah. for Jewish youth. Yeah, I thought maybe I'll take the spot of someone who might um, have been stupider and more likely to give up their entire life. Um, but one morning, we got up very early to hike to the top of Mount Masada, which was a very arduous hike. Um, and right after that, we went to go swimming in the Red Sea and, or the Dead Sea. Yeah, mm. the Dead Sea, the salty one. Right. And we were very tired after the hike and it was very warm out. And I was lying on the beach having exercise my muscles were sore i soaked in the salt water of the dead sea it was nice and warm and floaty and comfortable and i was lying on the beach and a friend of mine brought me a sort of a slushy fruity alcoholic drink mm. and i i drank half of it and i i conked right out in the afternoon. That was one of the best naps of my life. And I think about that a lot when I'm trying to go to sleep. And the other one was when I was working at a summer camp. And it was another scorcher. It was about 90 degrees. Everyone could just barely move in the heat. And I had finished my work for the day. I had sort of the afternoon off. And they had these really large pillows that the gymnastics program used and I had moved one of those underneath a, tr a shady tree. It was still very warm and a little breezy and I laid down on that and I just took a little nap for about an hour. When these naps were starting, was it a sense of, ah, I am about to fall asleep and did you have that awareness of now comes the nap or was it just a lights out kind of situation? I think that's the beautiful thing about it was I knew I wanted my eyes to close. I didn't know that I was about to go to sleep. Mm. I'm not someone who could normally nap. And I think those were both sort of extraordinary situations for me. Do you tend to always sleep in the same position every night? Um, I couldn't tell you. I'm usually asleep when it happens. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and their lawn removal rebate. Can you first explain um, in as much detail as you care to give how this program operates? Well, I can't speak to the inner workings of the program, but the Los Angeles Water Department is incredibly motivated to uh, incentivize its citizens to stop watering their lawns, to get rid of their lawns. We live in Southern California, and where we live in Los Angeles is, a lot of people think of it as a desert, but it's actually technically a Mediterranean climate. Um, it's not a desert um, because we get more intermittent rain rather than rainy seasons, which is, I think, the definite, you know, what makes something a desert versus a Mediterranean climate. But at any rate, uh, grass, the the Cultivation of a grass lawn is really bad for uh, the environment in multiple ways here in Los Angeles. And the LADWP has instituted a program to get homeowners and renters, if they have the permission of their landlords, to replace their lawns with an alternative that is better for the environment. Mm. And so the way the program works is once you decide to undertake the project, you submit an application that includes your plans for what to replace it with and they review your plans, they review your property, they you, you submit measurements because it pays by the square foot. Mm -hmm. And once they approve your plans, you have, I think, six months. I'm going to check the, the, the um, 
guidelines that I have. I, I have the booklet from 2018, and I think some of it might have changed in the time since. But okay. um, after you submit your plans, you have a, about, I think, six months to implement them. And then you send them pictures of the completed project. And uh, you have to keep it that way, or at least continue following the rules for at least five years afterward in order to qualify for the rebate. I don't know what the enforcement mechanism is for that, but um, so far, I'm okay, I think. Um, but I was actually surprised, you know, a lot of times when um, I tell people that I did the turf replacement rebate, because that's what it's called. It's called the turf replacement turf rebate. Turf replacement people rebate. People think that that means that I put in AstroTurf, mm. but the reason why AstroTurf is called AstroTurf is because it's grass is called turf, right. and AstroTurf is an artificial type of turf. What they're really saying is you are replacing your grass with something else. They, it turns out they actually really don't want you to put in artificial grass. Right. It's named, I believe, after the Houston Astrodome. Oh, is that true? Yeah. That would make sense. But what they used instead of grass in there. And I think that that makes a lot, a lot, I think, I think AstroTurf makes a lot of sense in that context. I sure. think, you know, they probably wouldn't have an easy time playing football on the types of landscaping that I ended up putting on putting in my property. Well, I'm I'm very curious to know and I'm very enthusiastic to know your story and your involvement with this. First of all, tell me about your your lawn before any of this came into your life. What did your lawn look like? Well, I bought this house in 2018. And it was a pr it's a pretty boring house, I'd say. It was um both a flipped house and a fixer-upper at the same time, which is why I was able to afford it. It was a badly flipped house that kind of no one wanted because there were a lot of things that were sort of done wrong with it. A flipper-upper, um, if you would. A flipper-upper, yes. Um, we, we immediately had to do a bunch of work on it. Um, but it had a pretty generic, boring lawn. The backyard was basically half-paved. It was There was driveway leading all the way to the back with a garage on top of the driveway but then there was also a kind of a concrete parking strip next to the driveway as well and then just a big square of lawn in the back and in the front yard it was all just basic green lawn with a lemon tree in the middle and on the parkway which is what i learned means the strip of grass in between the sidewalk and the street sure that that was also grass with a magnolia tree. Mm. Um, so all said and done, I think that it amounted to about 1,100 square feet of of grass. Um, and and you're, what part of Los Angeles uh, do you live in? I live in the Atwater Village neighborhood. So you're not very far from uh, Burbank, which is where Andy Daly lives and tends to his own uh, lawn and garden, as he's discussed on our program. Oh, yeah. I should really have a talk with him about that. Um, he might not because, know about the program. Well, and you know what? something that's pretty exciting, too, is so when I applied for the rebate, it was $3 a square foot. And now it's $5 a square foot. You can do a lot more. You can do a lot more. Um, for, for our listeners who don't live in Los Angeles, where is Atwater Village in relation to either the Rose Bowl or Hollywood Boulevard and the Chinese Theater? I'd say it's about halfway between them. All right, then. It's it's on the east side. It's It's east of Hollywood. Um, you have to cross the LA River and the Five Freeway. Mm. Um, you know, it's pretty close to Los Feliz and Silver Lake, but it's on the other side of the river from them. Um, and it's it's right up against Glendale as well. Okay. Um, and which I don't know if they, as a city, have a different rate for their turf replacement rebate, but. The city of L.A., if you live in L.A. proper, I'm sure Burbank has pretty decent rates as well, I, I believe. It might be all of L.A. County, actually. That's $5 a square foot. 
Emily, we had a intern working on our program this summer, uh, and her name is Clara. And at this point, I would dispatch her to go look up the comparative rates of lawn replacement in Glendale vis-a-vis Los Angeles. But her internship ended, and she's going back to school. So I think we'll just never know. Yeah, I think we might never know, unless I talk Andy Daly into doing it from Burbank, and I can find out the Burbank rates from him. Well, so what happened was I... When we got this house, one of the big advantages of owning a home is that you can get a dog without worry of getting approval from a landlord. And we adopted a small dog named Alan, and we were very happy that we had a yard that had a fence and grass for the dog to play on. And as soon as we got him home, um, it, it didn't take very long to learn that he did not have interest in the yard. Oh. He's not a dog that plays fetch. Um, unless you give him a treat every single time he brings the ball back to you. Because mm, he and doesn't work for free. No, he doesn't. He, he, and he doesn't derive any joy from retrieval. Mm. The only times when he truly enthusiastically runs are when he is going back inside the house to get back on the couch. So I quickly realized that the yard was wasted on this dog, and it was a quite a bit of land to think was going to waste. I didn't want I didn't want it to go to waste. And I'm not sure how I had heard rumblings of of this, but um I knew that grass was bad. I knew that grass wasn't appropriate. I knew it took a lot of water. Yes. And you know, there are a decent amount of gardens in my neighborhood that don't use grass and, you know, use succulents and things like that. Um so I thought, you know, I should I should be able to do something else. At the same time, I started getting into vegetable gardening because I had all this outdoor space. Mm. And that sort of sparked my interest in in thinking, well, I might be getting rid of this lawn in order to put in a bigger vegetable garden. I might as well get some money for doing that because I know that I'll get some money. And so I signed up for the program. And as part of the program, they offer a free class about sustainable landscaping and the watershed technique. The watershed approach to sustainable landscaping. Oh, what, um, what is that approach? So, this is actually, I think, something that is kind of deeply radicalized me. All right. Um, I initially thought that getting rid of your lawn was just because lawns are thirsty, and that's the issue, and you don't want to use that much water watering a lawn sure. that isn't causing any value. And, you know, for a while, we just sort of let our lawns die as a result of not wanting to use that water. Sure. But when I took the class, what I found out is that the watershed approach is the effort to capture stormwater in your property. It's not just about not using water. It's also about keeping water in your soil, allowing mm. it making your soil as permeable as possible so that the water can sink down and replenish our underground water supply, which in LA, we have a pretty decent aquifer underground that is usable water. But very often the rainwater in LA, and we do get rain sometimes, even though it's pretty dry. Mm. When it does rain, if you have a lawn, what happens is because um, a grass lawn, the roots of sod is not very deep. It basically just sits right on top of the land. Mm -hmm. It basically means that the roots aren't going very deep. So the soil underneath it is very unhealthy. Mm. It gets really dry and compacted if you dig down even just a foot underneath where the grass is. Because for one thing, it's a monoculture. It's one plant, so it can't sustain you know, the microorganisms that make soil healthy because they require some sort of biodiversity in order to have a thriving kind of ecosystem underground. Mm -hmm. But it also, because it is so thirsty, when it when it is watered, the grass drinks the water right away, but the water doesn't sink down below and feed any life below the surface. So the oh. and the roots also get really densely matted and that creates a barrier to keep moisture from penetrating the soil. So what happens is the soil right underneath your lawn becomes about kind of, you know, hard as a rock. And when it does rain, 
the water runs right off into the street. So it and doesn't get absorbed by what's underneath the greedy It doesn't greedy get grass. absorbed. And it just runs off into the gutter and goes straight into the ocean and very often carries a lot of trash along the way. Oh. So it's not only a loss of potentially usable water, it's also adding to pollution in the ocean. It's a bad thing all around. So it's not just a matter of uh, if I don't water my grass, I'm doing fine. It's having grass that makes one not fine. Yeah. If anything, if you do have grass and you can't get rid of it, it's actually better to keep it alive. Because if you let your grass completely die, then all the soil will become completely compacted. And then all you have is runoff. And I, you know, grass doesn't sustain very much animal life, but it sustains a tiny amount. And so keeping it alive for that reason might be better. But it's so easy to replace it with something that would be better. Would it work to install a series of large sponges where the lawn once was to absorb (laughs) the water and let it leach to the dirt below? Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It is called Baby Geniuses. It's a long-running podcast hosted by comedian Emily Heller and artist and TV creator Lisa Hanawalt. This show is two funny, brainy, somewhat perverted friends chatting about their latest obsessions and petty grievances. Lots of fun segments that have their own special theme songs, and every episode caps off with a deep dive into a new, weird Wikipedia page. Baby Geniuses on Maximum Fun, or wherever you get podcasts. Would it work to install a series of large sponges where the lawn once was to absorb the water (laughs) and let it leach to the dirt below? Well, that's actually a pretty good metaphor for what the turf replacement rebate recommends. Okay. Because they do recommend several different methods of stormwater capture that aid in a watershed approach to landscaping. Hmm. Um, The kind of the idea is to turn your soil into more of a sponge. And you do that by making it healthier. And you make it healthier by planting a variety of climate-appropriate plants and also by installing sort of pockets where the water can go and wait and sink into the soil instead of running off. So I would say that, yeah, you are – the goal is to make your soil more spongy. Um, One of the ways – there are a few different ways. And when you apply for the turf replacement rebate, your plan has to include – I think it's at least one method of stormwater capture. Um, so that could be something like a rain barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have a certain amount of rain barrels if you go the rain barrel route, but they do offer a rebate for purchasing those as well. Um, you could also get a rain chain, which is something that you attach to your gutters in place of a downspout. And it is basically a series of little cups on a vertical chain so that when it rains, the water doesn't just shoot down to the ground. It instead slowly goes from cup to cup. Mm -hmm. That's basically little funnels that slow down the flow of water so that when it reaches the ground, it has more time to absorb um, into the ground instead of running off right away. One of the things that I think is probably closest to what you're picturing of the sponge is a, a natural vegetative rain swale which is kind of like a little valley in the in the soil um, that is sort of full of kind of thirsty plants and rocks, but it's a place for the water to pool um, while it waits to absorb into the soil. Um, and some of them, so it could be a... Um, so yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the guidelines. So the project has to have one of the following rain capture techniques. 
a rain garden, which is um, like a kind of a, a trench filled with rocks, a rain barrel, which we've talked about, a cistern, which is a type of large rain barrel, an infiltration trench. I don't know what that is. A vegetated swale, which is sort of what I was talking about, where it's just full of more plants. Um, berm, dry riverbed, grade, or retention pond. Um, so basically, all of these ways that you can sort of truly try and capture the stormwater and keep it on your property so that it has time to penetrate the soil. Now, when you applied for this program, did you need to go hire a landscape architect? Did you need, how did you come up with the plan for exactly what you wanted to do? Well, what's really helpful is that the LADWP has a uh, waterwise landscaping website that has a bunch of demonstration gardens and also a full and comprehensive list of approved plants that oh. you can use. So you can search by plant name, but you can also search um, by plant type. You can say, I want to know, I want some vines to climb my fence, which vines are allowed. I want some fruit trees, which fruit trees are allowed. You can sort by water usage because they range from um, very low water to low water to moderate. Mm. Um, and uh, I did a lot of looking at those lists. I, I looked around at gardens. I, I, I came up with the plan myself. And I'll be honest, I ended up adjusting it several times as the years went on, as I figured out which plants worked better in my garden than others. Um, but I always used the list as reference. And I think it's okay to replace it with very similar ones as long as you are still working from the list and still not using any water. Is there is there a high-end uh, landscape designer kind of community? I just think in, in Los Angeles, having a good uh, a good lawn replacement guy or gal right. um, who's, you know, gives you some status within the greater Los Angeles area and, and entertainment community. Is, does I that would exist? Say that, I would say probably the bougiest, um, you know, kind of water-wise uh, landscape architecture firm is probably Terramoto Landscaping. Okay. They're pretty, um, very classy. I The first time around, I employed my gardeners who had been maintaining my lawn to do the installation of my plan. Mm. And there were some issues that came out of that because, for one thing, my plan wasn't, wasn't totally great. You know, there were things that I didn't know yet about my soil, about which plants would survive and which plants wouldn't. But also, I think because... I didn't really recognize how much I was going to end up adjusting it. The drip irrigation that they replaced my sprinklers with didn't extend to all the areas that I needed it to because I wanted to keep adding things to my landscape. And so when I actually redid my landscaping recently because we built an ADU in our yard um, and I had to end up redoing everything and I had a, a higher budget this time, I was able to hire a slightly bougier landscape company, but I did find out um, a couple months into the project that it was owned by Scientologists. So I'm oh. not going to name them or recommend them, even though I do think they did good work. I just feel slightly uncomfortable with um, knowing knowing what they're probably tithing. Did you have to sign up for a lot of expensive classes and how to maintain your own lawn? Um. No, you actually, I think the goal with planting a lot of uh, climate appropriate and um, native plants is that they don't require as much maintenance. Okay. Um, I am someone who likes to garden um, and someone who I like to learn how to take care of plants anyway, because I want them to survive. So I do watch a lot of YouTube videos about that. Um, but, uh, I did not have to take a lot of classes for that. And I, I was, you know, we are still employing our gardeners. They do a, a decent amount of maintenance for us anyway. Okay. Um, but, but the, the, the Scientologist, uh, landscape designers didn't try to pressure you into Oh, no, <laughs> no, they didn't try and they did not try and, um, convert me. And I think if anything, they tried to conceal their connections to the church as much as possible. But at one point, 
the owner of the company was wearing a Scientology bracelet when he came to our house uh, uh, for a site visit. That's and, kind of a giveaway. Yeah, that's how the pieces sort of fell into place. You mentioned an ADU. What is an ADU? An ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. So we tore down our garage and we built a guest house in the back of our in the back of our property to mostly for my parents to stay in when they come visit because um, we didn't have enough space for that and also to use as an office. But that was just something that had been we had always wanted a little bit more space. So, um, but it, we did end up building that where my vegetable garden had been. So I had to move my vegetable garden and when that happened, but. I um I'm on the LADWP website currently and looking at the list of classes that they offer. I'd oh, like yeah. to I'd like to mention the classes, the class names to you and then you rate for me on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being the most interested in taking that class, 1 uh-huh. being the least interested. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we have garden design workshop. Um s- 7.5 7.5, pretty good. Irrigation and water use efficiency? I'm going to have to say probably like a two. I'll be honest. Um, I know I should know how to install my own irrigation, but I'm not a handy person. As much as I try and DIY things like that, I really, I really have to recognize that that's an area in which I have to trust the experts to do the installation and things like that. Okay, so that's a pretty low number of interest on that one. Yeah. Uh, turf, colon, remove, replace, or maintain it organically? Well, I think that I'm not interested. That's probably a one since my turf is gone. Okay, all right. Here's one. California-friendly California native plant landscape webinar. Probably about a seven. Would it be would it be lower if you had to show up in person? Actually, I'm not sure. Okay. I think it might be more appealing. I think it'd be easier for me to focus if it was in person than if it was a webinar. Rainwater harvesting. See, these are all things that I ended up learning in the class about removing turf. So, right. yeah, I think I I mean I recommend them strongly, but. You're, they don't you're kind of beyond personally. these you're kind of you've, you've moved yeah on. i'm sort of i'm already it would be a little bit of preaching to the choir i do think that the native plant landscaping thing would be interesting just because it would be an opportunity to learn about more native plants because right now my garden is a combination of california native plants and other climate appropriate plants that are not actually native to the area so a lot of the a lot of the plants that i ended up installing originate from places like south africa or australia places that have um, a similar enough climate that they're you know drought tolerant things like that but they're mm-hmm. not actually from here emily heller let me ask you this so you have this uh, this yard full of all these different sorts of plants if this was a high school which plant would be the star quarterback slash cheerleader? What's the most popular and most admired plant in your garden? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, some of them are, you know, maybe get a little bit too much credit. Yeah. Um, and some of them, you know, kind of fade into the background, but serve an important purpose nonetheless. Mm. I would say that um, right now, probably the star quarterback or maybe the cheerleader is probably my artichoke plants artichokes some people maybe don't know are because they're a mediterranean vegetable um they are also in a climate appropriate landscaping plant Mm -hmm. um you can eat them but i let mine um bloom you if in order to eat them you have to harvest the buds before they bloom and um i uh, I harvested a bunch to eat, but then I let them bloom and they create these really sort of show-stopping, beautiful purple pom-pom flowers. So that's Prom obviously the cheerleader. Kind of yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you kind of can't take your eyes off them. The, the colors don't look real when you, when you look at them in person. Um, but they can also be a little prickly, you know? Mm. Um, I would say... It's, it's hard to say the quarterback. I didn't have a football team or cheerleaders at my high school, so this is uh, 
I'm going basically just based on the movies and stuff like that. Sure. I think um, the nasturtiums that I planted are really aggressively filling in a lot of the space. A lot um, of muscle there. They're very strong, yeah. They're strong and they're bright and they're, you know, kind of versatile as well. They're decorative, but you can also eat the leaves and the flowers. Um, but they're, you know, they're sort of filling in the landscape and they're kind of taking what's what's theirs. Um, I'd say sort of the unsung hero of the garden is my California native milkweed. Um, the AV Nero club of the, of the school. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like it's serving a very important function, even though the flowers aren't the showiest. Um, but it is the habitat for the monarch butterfly, which is currently mm. um, the Western monarch is currently uh, moving through southern california and um laying four generations of eggs here um before the super generation then um migrates for the winter um so uh i have a few shrubs of that that are um serving as a host plant it's actually the only plant that the monarch butterfly will lay its eggs on um tropical milkweed is is another plant that they'll lay their eggs on but they really shouldn't be planted in southern california because they're they don't die back in the winter, which confuses their migration cycles, and they can also become overly damp and harbor uh, OE, which is a bacterial infection that causes uh, death in the monarchs. Yeah, so it's important to plant the native milkweed. And so, yeah, I'd say that's sort of maybe the drama kid of the high school. It's, uh, you know. Yeah, histrionics. <laughs> Involved. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of drama happening on my milkweed right now because I'm losing a lot of my monarch uh, caterpillars to wasps and to tachinid flies. But um, you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of tumult. You know, did the rebate program cover everything you wanted to do with your lawn, or did you have to pay something out of pocket as well? I did end up paying out of pocket. Um, I think it would have been easier if I, I had gotten it at the rate that it is now. And I think if I had it to do over, there are probably some things I would have just done myself. But um, because it, I was the only one who, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not a very strong person. But I do think that there are some good ways that you can um, cheaply um, or even for free do it yourself um, in order to kill your lawn. One of the ways that you can do it is by solarizing it. Um, so that involves, um, wetting it down, covering it with clear plastic that is sealed on all the edges and letting the sun kill the, kill the grass. Um, like it's like it's under a a, a little, not a magnifying glass. glass. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of greenhousing it to death. And once you do that, you can lay down truly any kind of cardboard as long as you remove the plastic um, in thick layers of cardboard and then cover it with mulch which you can get for free from Griffith Park um, that is uh, pretty high quality and um, putting down cardboard and then mulch and then you can just cut holes in the cardboard to plant your landscape um, plants. I think the plants themselves are probably the highest cost Mm. um, because it's hard to get those for free. But I will say that um, a decent amount of plants such as succulents can be um, installed from trimmings. And one of my neighbors has a pretty robust uh, fire stick plant um, she has actually several of them and I used a lot of those cuttings and I, I went to another friend of mine's house who has just a ton of succulents and she allowed me to take a bunch of cuttings of hers. So in the front, I have a succulent garden that is almost completely scavenged. And I will say that, you know, you can do a lot of it for, for pretty, pretty cheap or free if, if you're resourceful enough to do it. But I was just a little bit too lazy to do all of it myself. And there were some, some fancier plants that I wanted that I was able to afford to shill out for um so you know i do think it's possible to have the the rebate pay for all of the work if you do it in a really conscientious way um you said that you said i'm not very strong do you mean that in a physical muscular sense or an emotional sense um in this case i meant it in the physical sense but i would also argue i'm not emotionally strong either i just it just hasn't really come up in this area of my life yet yeah do you wish i will 
I wish I was stronger. Yeah, that's good ass. <laughs> yeah, I think there have definitely been some, there are definitely heartbreaks in the garden. I think gardening is making me stronger emotionally. It's mm. better equipping me to handle failure. I think one of the lessons that I've learned from gardening, just by watching the way that, you know, plants and insects tend to create thousands and thousands of seeds in the hopes that maybe one of them turns into another plant. Right has really taught me that, you know, it's important to brace yourself for failure, mm, yeah. you know? And that's something that I've, I've been trying to sort of internalize as much as possible, that it's 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 still a success if one of a hundred of your attempts succeeds. Right, it's an ecosystem. Um, and I, yeah. I suppose as an actor in the entertainment industry, that's an important lesson to, to keep in mind. Oh yeah, and every in every part of the entertainment industry, it's it's important to remember that that failure is part of the process. Yeah, um, not everybody people, gets cast as the nasturtium. No, no, no. Very often, you're just um, a daimondia plant that fails to thrive because there's not enough shade. Um, I wanted to know if you would you like to hear what the sustainable landscape checklist consists of? Very much so. Okay, so once you've created your plan and you've reserved your rebate, it's time to execute. Here's the the landscaping checklist um, to make sure that you can your your work has qualified for the rebate. First, all sprinklers have been capped, removed, or converted to drip irrigation. There can be no overhead irrigation. All turf has been removed in the project area and covered with weed barrier material, preferably organic. This is where I'd recommend the cardboard because there are a lot of plastic weed barriers out there and I don't think that's very good for the soil. Mm. Then, and it's also not very effective as a weed barrier, I'd say as well. Then surround plants and cover weed barrier with at least three inches of mulch. That's really important because the mulch is um, kind of magical for the properties of you know, it really enriches the soil. I will say we have a lemon tree and before the rebate, it was surrounded by grass. And after the rebate, it's been surrounded by mulch and we just have lemons year round now. It's incredible the way that it's helped. Um, next, the project has to have uh, rain capture techniques. I went over this already. Um, at maturity, the native drought tolerant and California friendly plants will fill in 50% of the project. A maximum of 25% of the project area is allowed to be covered with non-vegetated materials such as pavers, gravel, decomposed granite, decorative rocks, etc. This is something that I think I'm maybe no longer truly abiding by, but I'm not sure. Uh, no artificial turf is installed. That's an important part of the checklist. Right. No invasive plants have been included in the project area. That's also pretty important. If the project includes a parkway, the California-friendly and native plants will fill in 80% of the parkway project area. Be sure you meet all requirements for parkway landscaping. There's a separate um, website for that. And I think it's because you're not allowed to plant any really spiky plants in the parkway because it's accessible to all people. So, you know, you're not supposed to... You're not supposed to um, plant like really spiky cactuses there, I think, if if you also want the city to reimburse you for it. So mm. there's five steps for the rebate. Number one is plan. Number two is reserve your rebate. Number three is execute. Number four is check, submit, and collect. Um, so you take the photos of, of your new landscape, you submit it. And the, the staff will review it, and they might schedule an in-person inspection, but then they'll disperse the rebate. And then step five is just enjoy your sustainable landscape. Oh, that's a nice yeah, step to take. Which is a yeah, I'm still doing that one. <laughs> so they so they don't send a person around to check up on you unless there's I you know what a lack I don't of clarity. Know. They might have sent one to just go look and take a picture of it. I wouldn't know. All I would have to do is kind of drive by and see that no one, no one ever knocked on my door to say like, "Let me see your backyard." Mm. Um, so it's it's possible that they just drove by, but it's also possible that they're so desperate for people to take advantage of this program that they're not going to make it harder for us to actually collect. Right. Did you go to Griffith Park to pick up mulch yourself? Um, 
at the time, there was such a high quantity of mulch that I needed that it made more sense for me to have my gardeners do it. Mm-hmm. But I continue to go to Griffith Park to get free mulch because it's something that um, your garden needs uh, sort of on a every year or two basis. How does that work? Do you bring a wheelbarrow or a truck? I bring plastic tubs and a shovel. I see. And there's a certain area. It's the composting facility. They have one giant pile of mulch and one giant pile of finished compost Mm. that they uh, make themselves with a combination of um, yard waste and dung from the L.A. Zoo. All right, then. So it's animal manure uh, mixed and broken down with um, yard waste from, I think, probably from people's homes as well as from, you know, the landscaping they do at the city parks. And it's really high quality. Is it stinky? Compost. It actually doesn't smell too bad. It smells rich and earthy because it is, it's been processing for a long time. And um, it's, yeah, it's, I, I add that to my vegetable garden as well as um, to the rest of my garden as well. I have some ideas for what, if I had a home in Los Angeles, of what I might do with with that lawn instead of uh, putting in grass. What do you think of um, just a, a whole bunch of rocks, just rocks and rocks, truckload of, of rocks? Wouldn't that get the water down into the, the dirt? You know, I think that it would probably hold the water until it had a chance to evaporate. Mm -hmm. But if you only had rocks and you didn't have any living plants below the layer of rocks, Mm -hmm. the soil underneath would become really compacted. It would not be what you really want in your soil to keep. I think the difference between dirt and soil is that soil is kind of alive. It's got worms, it's got little microbes, it's got bugs, it's got all kinds of activity happening down there. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be organic material below the soil. I will say a lot of um, water-wise plants do thrive with a lot of sort of rock support. So like ice plant and mini ice plant are pretty good ground covers and they really like climbing around on the rocks and they can sort of send their roots down into the cracks and get the nutrients they need that way. Okay. So I would then go with the ice plants and then the nasturtiums because they're strong and then a whole Uh bunch of sponges. Yeah. The sponges. I wonder if there is a way to grow plants in sponges. I think there's probably hydroponics. Yeah, they use that. Yeah, I yeah some some plants, uh, certainly mushrooms can grow in just about anything. I think. Yeah, mushrooms can grow. I mean, they do need organic material yeah. in order to grow because most they're either even there. You know, there are some plants that can survive on just water, but they're not going to thrive as much um, because they really need organic material in order to to sort of grow and to if they're if they're an edible plant they're not going to taste good if they're a lot of people will restart green onions and water and i think if you did a taste test of a green onion that was um grown just in water versus put in the ground i i think you're gonna prefer the one that was grown in soil yeah the water one just seems like it would be a ghost of an onion yeah, and you know, there's there's something appealing in that in sort of a Halloweeny kind of way. But yeah. um, if you're talking about what what you want to put on your ramen, it's like, yeah, no contest. You want it from the dirt. Yeah, I'd also like to say that if you live in um, a place with any kind of drought, please check and see what uh, what rebates your local water department has for you. Um, I'm sure that they have these programs in Arizona. I'm sure they have them in inland California. I'm sure most most sort of local water agencies will have some kind of free money for you to get if you just want to make your garden look better anyway. And if you see a lawn, be mad. Be mad. And and those a lot of those classes are free too, and you can spend your time in those classes. Yeah, and they will radicalize you. All right. Stay mad, Emily Heller, and good night. Good night. 
Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about the process and philosophy of applying for the LADWP's lawn removal rebate as much as I did. Thank you again to Emily Heller. You know, something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Emily Heller right now, while it's fresh in my mind. One, the Los Angeles Water Department is currently offering turf replacement rebates of $5 per square foot, which is two whole dollars more per foot than it was when Emily applied for hers. Two, Alan, the dog, doesn't have any interest in a yard or yard activities, so if you want to play fetch with Alan, be prepared to pay him in treats for each retrieval. Three, if you think the watershed approach to landscaping is just about not using water to maintain your lawn, then you are sorely mistaken. It's all about capturing water from the sky when it trespasses onto your property and then keeping it in your soil. Four, do your research in hiring a bougie landscaping company if you want to avoid paying Scientologists for your succulents. Five, artichokes are the cheerleaders of the vegetable garden due to their show-stopping pom-pom-like flowers. And six, gardening is an activity that can help you cope with failure, which is important if you wish to cultivate resilience. Okay. Ah, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and Emily Heller. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok with the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music is provided by The Winterbowers. Social media assistance provided by Charlie Moe. The show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. And this is a production of Maximum Fun and Papachik. I'm John Moe. Night night. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.